Hello, and welcome to Creator Support, the show where... You know, I hadn't thought about this until now. Okay. And I found this on our Reddit, where we support creators. How about that? Creator Support, where we support creators. That's great. Thanks so much, Reddit community. It's just so simple. It was right there in front of us the whole time. That's really good. Uh, If you're new here, I'm Samir. I'm Colin. And we've been creating content online for 10 years. And on this show, we interview creators and we also talk about the latest news in the creator economy. And every Thursday, we do creator support. Where we answer your questions about the career of being a creator. A new catchphrase from Colin. I actually have one more catchphrase from Reddit. Okay. Where we only listen for the gripes. If you're new here... Eventually in the episode, we're going to bring up some gripes. All right. On this episode, we're going to answer your questions about consistency, as well as dive into a few different storytelling formats and talk about how short form content and long form content can play into your business strategy. Lastly, that simple tagline came to us from no robot yet on Reddit. Very active member of our Reddit community. That's r slash Colin and Samir. Make sure to join because you can put some questions there. That we'll respond to. And before we get into the show, if you haven't yet reviewed our pod and you've been enjoying the pod, would be great if you could review it. We're almost at a thousand reviews on Spotify, Colin. That's amazing. A thousand. Okay, let's get into it. So the Wall Street Journal, their podcast, The Journal, they covered this creator, Meet Kevin, who was running for governor of California at one point. And when he rolls up to this interview with the Wall Street Journal, he's in like some type of um, like go-kart type motorcycle thing, which is the most classic YouTuber way to roll up to anything. Um, But what was really interesting is they cover this story about him and how his channel really popped during 2020 and 2021. And actually in 2021, he made $22 million. And if you don't know him, he was giving financial advice on the channel about like stocks and trading and and where to invest your money. So Kevin made, again, $22 million. And that was a mix of AdSense, brand partnerships, but also from courses. And that, first of all, was really interesting to me. Um, That's like an astronomical amount of money to make from being a creator. Obviously in the financial category, there's more money to be made. But he got to this point where he even put a $300,000 down payment on a private jet. Like he was really, he was really going all out. Take it Uh, easy, Kevin. Started running for governor, like all kinds of things. Um, What's fascinating to me is like he has just under 2 million subscribers. A lot of his videos don't cross 150,000 views. Um, So to really look at that calculation, first of all, is insane to recognize the type of community you can build if it's rallied around the right subject. Um, But also the value of courses and education. Uh, Fascinating. Now, the other side of this is what the podcast is really about is uh, how much his content has taken a hit recently with the economic downturn, with his content moving from being like excitement about investing to caution in investing and how different that value is for the audience. I mean, a, a lot of content is the transformation that your audience goes through, right? And when he's sort of teaching them about how to make money, as an audience member, you're seeing that version of yourself who's potentially more successful, has more money and is doing cooler things. You know, for him to accurately give advice, he's now painting a darker vision that's not as exciting of like, stop spending your money, save, conserve. That's not as fun of an, that's not as enjoyable of an experience as an audience member. Right, yeah. 
it's an, it's a really interesting podcast episode. Uh, if you're interested in that, it's on the wall street journals podcast. Um, definitely check it out. It's, it's fascinating. We also wrote about it in our newsletter, the published press, um, and broke down kind of the timeline and everything. We'll put that link in the description of the pod, but on that topic of creators evolving and, and, and evolving their content, a couple of things that we've seen around YouTube. One was yes. Theory's most recent video about their fresh start, the concept that they've actually moved away from America and, have now moved across the world where they're all kind of in different places. And they've been on YouTube for like seven years and they're just really evolving in public. Thomas said this really great line about how we're in this open chapter of yes theory that's being written in front of your eyes. And I think that is just so much of what YouTube is, but it feels really scary for it to be that, to be this concept that whatever we're making right now might change in the next couple of years there might be a world where you and I move to different places. That's a really confusing thing to think about. Yeah. I mean, the scary thing about this job is that so much of it is unknown. And I think along those lines, I'm reading Creativity Inc. right now about the rise of Pixar. Mm-hmm. And there's a really great sentence in there about how coming to work every day for them is really scary because they're working on things that don't exist yet. Whoa. Interesting. It's not like you're in a factory where every day you're going to build the same car or the same product. Mm. There's so much unknown on a day-to-day basis when you work in creativity like this. And so you don't know what you're walking into or what your day is going to be like. As much as we try and predict it and put boundaries around it, for all of us, we just don't know. That's just not the nature of creativity. Yeah. And I love that Thomas just opens up about it and just shoots the audience straight. That's like, hey, this is this career. It's really unknown. And I can't make promises that it's going to look any certain type of way, but you're going to be here with us along the way. I, I mean, they've, they've transformed a lot yeah. from having four members mm-hmm. to three on camera to two, to now they're in different parts of the world. Like oh. they, they've really changed a lot. Yeah. What's amazing is that when they do upload, there's still a million plus people there to watch and follow along. That's really incredible to me that this community is still following along with whatever they're doing. Something that we're starting to see also, like if you guys haven't seen it yet, PewDiePie just uploaded a vlog uh, and he just moved to Japan. So PewDiePie, uh, if you're not familiar, is the largest independent creator on the platform. Uh, From a subscriber size, he's bigger than Mr. Beast. He has 111 million subscribers, been on the platform for 12 years, has gone through many different twists and turns, ups and downs, and he just started vlogging again. Um, And if you don't subscribe yet to our newsletter, The Published Press, we're going to be covering it in tomorrow's issue, Friday, uh, if you're listening to this the day it comes out. So check that out. If you haven't seen it yet, go check that out and just see like how much he has evolved and how much we're just watching him change, do things, move, and now pick up vlogging. Yeah, I think it's really liberating that a lot of large creators are just feeling like they can shift. Yeah. You know, musicians get to make albums that are drastically different. True. But it's tough sometimes for creators to think that we could do the same type of thing. But- I think that's what's starting to happen. Creators are just, you know, maybe things they would have done on their second channel where less people are watching. They're just going, I'll just do it on my main channel. Why not? I think some of that is also the value of subscribers changing that really a good video is going to find its viewership. Yeah. And, and it's not as much about subscribers. I think that's a really big, the game has completely changed. Yeah. Subscribers are a nice representation of how many people have come your way and have said that they like what you're doing or they're interested in it. Right. But it's not necessarily like, you know, the amount of people, it's not even close to the amount of people that will see your videos no matter no, what. It's, it's not a marker of your actual audience size. It's views per video. That's, I think we're always trying to get a pulse of that when we put yeah. out a video is, you know, what's our lowest number of views that we'll get no matter what. 
if we just put up like a black screen. Right. You know, you just want to know like, what's your baseline audience? Right. Who's there no matter what? And I don't even think you can find that truly. I think that's harder to find on YouTube, easier to find on podcast. That's true. So just want to say thank you to everyone listening on the audio feed who will just click on anything we put up. Do you yeah. want to explain why it's easier on podcast? I think it's easier on podcast because the behavior and I'm speaking to people on the other side of this that I'm describing. So everyone tell me if I'm completely incorrect about this, but the behavior that I have listening to a podcast is I'm a fan of the podcast. So I will give it the time of day, even if the title maybe doesn't exactly connect with me. I'm like, I've have enough trust with these guys that I will listen or with this show that I'll listen and at least give it a shot. I don't think that behavior exists on YouTube. I think on YouTube, it's more like it comes across your recommended. You might not even know when it uploads. Like on my Spotify, when I see a podcast that I listen to upload a new episode, I'm pretty familiar with when they upload. Spotify lets me know that they've uploaded a new episode. And again, I might not even look at the title when I listen. I'm actively seeking out new episodes from the podcast right. I like. And there's really only three to four max. I do think it's also ritual based. Like if you listen to our show every Monday and you're like, it's Monday, there's a new episode. I will check it out and give it a shot. That behavior doesn't really exist on YouTube right now. No. I think I think that's uh, that's that's just different. It, it, and you know, we'll see Ryan Trahan right now, creator that we interviewed, that'll be uh, up on the channel as well as here on the podcast on Monday. He is doing a daily vlog, essentially mm -hmm. like a penny series, where he starts with a penny, uh, has to make his way over to North Carolina to give Mr. Beast the penny. And he's uploading every single day for 30 days. That'll be one of the first times where there's some type of appointment viewing or ritual-based consumption on YouTube that's, hey, I'm going to wake up in the morning and watch Ryan's video. And it's based in a concept. Yeah. So every day he has to try and make a certain amount of money. And throughout the 30 days, he has to try and make, mm -hmm. you know, he has to try and get across the country. It's very different than the daily vlog era of 2015, 2016, where you just tuned in to see what was going to happen. There was never really a cliffhanger at the end of an episode. Yeah. All right. First question comes from Saranish. Saranish. Man, I really you don't sure think about I'm, that? No, I'm not sure about it. And it's, it's upsetting. I would have uh, said Saranch. 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 Much better, Colin. I can't believe you can pronounce an Indian name better than I can. I may be wrong. Saranch Mehta. Um, hey, Colin and Samir, I deeply value your channel and the effort you guys are putting in to bring recognition and consolidation to the creator economy. Thanks. Putting out an apology... Uh, right up for segueing into an absurd fan request. Okay. From your episode with Michelle Carre, could you please ask her where her orange leather jacket is from? My girlfriend loves it and I'd love to give gift it to her. Uh, peace. Okay. Yeah. I will text Michelle uh, and ask her right now. That's a, that's a totally fine request. If you haven't watched our YouTube video with Michelle uh, or interview with her, check it out on the channel. Her orange jacket Fantastic. Talk about a cliffhanger. We'll see if she responds before the end of this recording. Okay, here we go. Next question. This one comes from Reddit. You want to read it, Cole? Questions about consistency. This is a long post, Samir. Yeah. How do you want me to attack this one? I'm uh, going to dive in and let's just, let's see what happens. Yeah. Hey, I'm an architecture student and make videos of the design process for the projects that I make. People seem to really enjoy them and I enjoy making them. But the problem is that these projects can take up to five weeks to finish. The results are amazing it's just that good art takes time. I'm wondering how big of a deal you guys think uploading consistently, say every or every other week matters and more so would appreciate advice on making more videos more consistently. Cool. Um, here's the thing about consistency. And I think this is a part of what we were just talking about. The question is on YouTube is the behavior 
ritual-based consumption, which I would define as you know it's on at that time, you are there to watch it, there's a level of appointment viewing. The, the, the most extreme version of appointment viewing is a, is a live sports game or a live award show, where on a live sports game, you have to watch it live to be a part of the mm-hmm. actual experience of it. The question is on YouTube, that doesn't really exist right now where you have to go watch something while it's live. Yeah, it's more of a browse culture yeah. now. It's a, a little bit more of a lean back experience mm-hmm. uh, where you just, by habit, I think, open the app and see what's there today, what catches your eye. Yeah, and and from our experience, you know, we're pretty adamant about uploading on Mondays, right? Mondays by 6 a.m. Pacific, that's when we want to upload. But for example, our episode about Andrew Callahan, we got delayed on that episode and ended up uploading it on a Wednesday. That is one of our most popular episodes of the year. So as much as I think schedule and consistency matters, when you zoom out right now on the platform and look at some of the biggest creators and um, part of this extended reading from um, this question is I've noticed Many creation-themed channels don't upload consistency. Consistently, William Osman, Michael Reeves, Bobby Dukes, Stuff Made Here, Simone Yetch, uh, but these creators have a massive fan base to begin with. I'm not sure how much that factors in. I think um, there was a creator, his name is Dylan. I don't remember his last name. I think his channel is just called Dylan. Started a new channel and uploaded a single video, and that video did 2 million views and had a really engaging title and thumbnail. It was about something about Feastables and Mr. Beast. So I think that uh, the right video right now will find viewership. It might take time. It might take a lot of shots from you. Like you have to try a couple of different ones, but I don't know right now if the platform is rewarding consistency the same way it was when Casey Neistat or Logan Paul were daily vlogging. Yeah, because there's no shortage of content right now on YouTube, right? So it's probably more so about quality. Whereas you think in 2014, 2015, YouTube's main agenda was we need to create more creators. We need more content on the platform. So they would reward the consistency, but it's not really the case. It's like, they're all about quality now. I mean, I can't wait for everyone to listen to our interview with Ryan Trahan that comes out next week because he talks a lot about pace and about him going from weekly uploads to two times a month. And he's seen explosive growth since he's slowed down his pace. Speaking of Ryan Trahan, our next question here from Reddit from Sensei Seth says, I run a martial arts channel that's at 200,000 subscribers. My videos are kind of Ryan Trahan-y. I had some previous success doing reaction content last year, but stopped recently because I didn't want my content to be too varied. Should I start a second channel for reactions that I can post weekly on? I'm going to say if you enjoy making these reaction videos, then yes. And the great thing about reaction videos is that they're pretty low lift. You sit in a chair, you curate things to react to, and, and you know it's not like a scripted video. You just react in real time and capture it and put it out. Yeah, I think uh, what you just said at the top there is really important that you know there might be strategic things you can do on YouTube, but at the end of the day, this is an emotional craft. It's creativity. And if the strategy doesn't match your um, desire to create or your excitement to create or your um, the emotion behind you creating, the strategy is not going to work. It can be the best strategy in the world, but it doesn't matter. So like you said, if you enjoy making reaction videos, then yeah, for sure, make a reacts channel. 
Here's something that's really interesting. This year, up to this point, while we're recording this, Mr. Beast has uploaded three videos to his main YouTube channel. But he's uploaded almost every week to his Beast Reacts channel. And it's the money driver for his business. Right. He says that a lot of the money he makes from that channel, he puts into the main, mm-hmm. the main channel. And because it's a low lift format, it's high margin, both from a time perspective as well as a revenue perspective. And it's like really fun. I think one of the things about Reacts that's really interesting, Peter McKinnon also does a great Reacts format, Filmmaker Reacts. You get to, you get to browse the internet with a friend. That's what it feels like. Like Jimmy's bringing us these crazy houses that he's looking at or crazy magic tricks or whatever. And it's like something that you would be scrolling Instagram reels or TikTok looking at, but you get to watch it with a creator and the context that they're bringing and like the laughter and whatnot. I think that's pretty fun. So if you're excited about the reacts format, it can definitely work. And I absolutely would, would set, you know, a separate channel for that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that became your main channel. I mean, let's also acknowledge the fact that we're currently doing a reaction format, but just in audio that all of you Fair. who submitted questions are what we're reacting to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So it's also a fun way to connect with your community. We see this on Reddit all the time when creators react to what their Reddit communities post. I want to react more to our Reddit. So Visually, though. Visually. Like, yeah. I'd love to see weird stuff that our Reddit posts from a visual perspective. Next question. This is from, uh, I don't know, they didn't put their name. I have 1 million subscribers and I usually charge $570 per brand deal. Should I charge more or less? Um, Here's the thing. We don't have enough context on what you're doing. If like your views per video is extremely low, uh, if your theme isn't consistent, on a gut reaction, $570 per brand deal feels unbelievably low. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, unbelievably low. So I would say like, you want to get yourself to a point where you are able to charge more, but that does, a million subscribers does not mean you can it's charge not more. The metric. Yeah. That is not the metric of if you can charge or not. It's going to be like the holistic brand. I think everyone has to take a step back and say numbers are not what, you know, brand partners and advertising are buying. They're buying like the holistic view of what your brand is, what it represents, who it reaches, what impact you have on that audience. I think we all have to remember that, that our goal is not just numbers. It's to build an honest community, an honest brand, an honest um, storytelling mechanism that's actually connecting with people. That's where you're going to bring value. And that's where the rates go up. It's like they're a representation of the value you're actually bringing to your community. So that's my like passionate speech about subscribers versus dollars. So while you were giving that passionate, impassioned speech, yeah, speech, I also noticed that the channel link is here yeah. as I'm reading it, but I can't copy and paste it because it's a screenshot. So I'm just putting it in letter by letter and it's kind of complicated, but I would be curious to see what the average views look like on this channel. Yeah. And I will know very shortly. Okay, here we go. I tried this by the way. You did? Couldn't, couldn't find the channel. So I'm going to move to the next question and you can see if you can find that channel. All right. This is from Electricity Wave. I have a comedy style slash entertainment gaming niche of content with gaming being so saturated with news and tips and tricks. What would you advise for an entertainment gaming channel? How would you attack this niche stick out and find ways to tell better stories in gaming? Would love to hear your feedback. Also coming from creator now and loved Samir's t- storytelling Q and a awesome. Great. Thank you. Gaming's really interesting. I, I have to admit right now that I'm not a gamer, so I don't watch a ton of gaming content, but I think what's interesting about gaming is that you're putting yourself 
in an environment that you could actually be in, but watching someone do it completely differently. Like it would be really hard to watch two people play the same game in the exact same way. So that's already a plus, right? Um, I do think gaming is unbelievably saturated. Um, I don't know that I know enough to tell you how to stick out, but I would say that um, personality is a huge way that you're going to stick out and storytelling from a, are you telling a story with gaming in a hook act one, act two, act three structure? Um, which, which probably again, it's gamers to me feel like the most advanced storytellers. So it might already exist. I mean, what do you think all about gaming? Like how to stick out in gaming content, man, I think gaming is actually so much about your personality and your persistence. Mm. Gamers are willing to spend so much time live streaming with their audiences. And that right. means their audiences are also willing to spend a lot of time with them. Right. So you end up building this crazy bond. But I do think, you know, from speaking with Carl Jacobs and Ludwig, it seems like time is a huge factor. Mm. You just have to commit to yeah. lots and lots and lots of hours streamed. Yeah. I would just try a lot of different formats. What I would do is I would pull storytelling formats from other genres and be like, what does documentary look like if I apply that here? What does a Reacts format look like if I apply that here? What does education look like if I apply that here? And just see what sticks and where your personality actually comes through. Also, I couldn't find the channel either. No, it's hard. It's hard. Hi, guys. I'm Jack. Hey, Jack. Uh, so this question comes from Jack Webb. I make primarily YouTube content about musical acts playing across specific festivals that I attend. I've built a small community, but would really love to scale up and reach more people on different platforms, specifically with TikTok and Instagram reels. I'm wondering what advice you had or struggles you have found readdressing some of your content for short form over long form. Also, if you have any ideas, I'm all ears. So the question is around how do you take long form content and reformat it for short form? Well, it's a little bit tough to say having not watched any of the videos, but if it's about musical acts playing across specific festivals, I think you need to think about, you know, on short form, no one's going to be really seeking out your videos. They're just going to come across them. Right. So it's not like you have a title thumbnail. Right. To, right. You know, tap into the algorithm and, and tap into search. So I would really think about what's universally interesting about these music festivals, about these acts what are the human stories that would sort of transcend this small community that you say you're a part of? And, you know, something that Ty Verdes, musician who grew on TikTok, told us was that the first line of all of his songs and his TikToks had to be hooks that were kind of like act ones mm. to a story. Yeah. That when he's writing songs, he would intentionally say something that, you know, if you heard it and you've only listened to the first five seconds of the song, you're like, oh, well... That's a crazy act one for the story. I need to hear more. So I would look at your videos the same type of way. Is there text on screen that suggests, you know, I, I should wait till the end of this video or that there's more coming that's, that's interesting. I know that's kind of general. I also think like your personal experience, you know, I went to X festival and you wouldn't believe what I saw backstage. I went to, you know, like, like how can you build something that, creates curiosity and intrigue, right? Like everything that we're doing is trying to create curiosity within the viewer. And you're actually creating a curiosity that they didn't actually naturally have. You're injecting curiosity into their mind through the first line of 
your piece. So I think you have to take a step back and say, what would be the maximum curiosity I could generate in short form content in one to two seconds in a line? All right. This comes from uh, Ahmed Saeed. He says, did you reach out to freelancers on sites like Upwork? Do you find people within your network? What was your process for this? And how many hires and fires do you need before you found people who are good and worked well with you? What was your vetting process for hiring people? We've worked with a lot of different people over the last 10 years. The majority of the people that we currently work with on a consistent basis, everyone that we have here at our office, really came within our network and going even further within our subscriber base. They're you know fans, viewers of, of the channel, um, or you know fans, viewers of the channel that also worked for another creator right. and came recommended to us. And with everyone... We always start, and I learned this from you, Samir, is mm-hmm. on a project basis. Yeah. Let's start on a one-off, see how we like working with each other before we really commit to anything longer. Right. Yeah. I think when you look at hiring, we haven't really had success with Upwork or any of those sites. For me, what's really important is a stamp of approval from someone I trust. That's number one. Almost everyone we've worked with has come from a recommendation from someone else, has worked with someone else. Um, or is someone that if, if they haven't done that, that like Colin mentioned, we'll do on a project because we need to develop our own stamp of approval. So definitely create a project for them to do, see how you work together and also recognize and take a step back that there's a learning curve to working within creativity that they're not going to be perfect immediately. So you have to anticipate that within the first project, what you're looking for is the character traits of their willingness to learn, their excitement towards creative that might not be their own, their interest in what you're doing, their willingness to work within the conditions you have, whether you have an office, no no office, remote, whatever. That's kind of your evaluation process that you're really looking at, not necessarily the actual work output that comes from the first project. And I think that can be really overwhelming as a creator because when you're hiring, you're like on a moving train and someone's jumping onto that moving train and they're not up to speed. They're not going at the same speed as that train. And it might take them six months to go at that speed. So I think that's a huge part of hiring. But I think hiring is a massive opportunity in the creator economy for someone to come help creators hire. It's so hard to find good creatives and and creators. I will say, I think there's like cottage industries starting to develop in the creator economy, specifically thumbnail designers. Mm -hmm. I could not believe that in our last episode the thumbnail designers that posted the tweet about their shout out that Michelle gave them. That tweet went like pretty far. It was like a high viewership video. I think the video itself almost got 20,000 views. It had a ton of retweets, a ton of engagement. And these cottage industries are very niche. Yeah. I think we're already seeing specialists emerge. Yeah. Whether it's YouTube thumbnails or, you know, visual TikTok content. The tough thing right now is where do you find those people? Yeah. Cause these, as you called it, the cottage industries, they're emerging, but there's really not a place yet to find all those people and and connect with them. Not yet. It's typically happening on Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Michelle just texted me back. So for uh, Saranj, the question about where is her jacket from? It is from The Mighty Company. And she sent me the link. It's called the Ferrara Racer from The Mighty Company. Can't believe she's willing to give that out. Because that's a like signature a, look. That's a signature jacket for her, and it's really cool. I mean, I might even buy this jacket, but... You know what, though? This brings up a gripe. Uh-oh. Our first gripe. When friends won't tell you mm. where they got an article of clothing. Sure. We, we have a friend, John. Yeah. Every time I see him, he looks so cool. 
I'll take a picture of him. I have multiple photos of John in my phone because I just, for inspo, it's mm, like my own mm, like mm. Pinterest vision board for my He's outfit. a listener to this podcast, by the way. So John Sauer. John hello. Sauer, yeah. yeah. Welcome to the show. It's and a gripe also, that I have with you Yeah, that I would love to buy all the clothing that you wear, but you won't tell me where you get it. Colin also just admitted that he has photos of you on his phone. John knows inspo. That. Yeah. So just not shy about it. Just as an he sees me taking photos. Yeah, that's a that's a reasonable gripe. One of my gripes is that you and I end up showing up to places wearing the same thing way more often than not. And we desperately need a stylist. Yeah. So if you're a stylist listening to this podcast, please reach out to us. All right, let's do this as our last question. This is from Jake, Jake McLaughlin, Jake McLaughlin. Yes, it says currently growing the company I work for is YouTube channel. We teach Kiwis about property investment. Very educational and practical, but I understand how important a story is after listening to you for years. Amazing. Wow. How about that impact? When doing educational videos- Did you just applaud our impact? Yes. <laughs> how about how about the impact we're having? Yeah, yeah. I how mean, that's it? exciting. That is exciting. Move on. Right. When doing educational videos, how would I include a story? I have used case studies before to teach a lesson, but not always applicable for the lesson we are teaching. Here's the channel. All right. So this is Jake from New Zealand. So when he says Kiwis, he's talking about like people from New Zealand. New Zealanders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I actually think storytelling in educational videos is probably the, the, the clearest formula for an educational video. Cause the thing is you open up like the concept of storytelling is building tension and releasing tension, opening an unclosed loop and then closing that loop. I actually think that's what's wrong with traditional textbooks. Yeah. There's no act one. You know how generally there's that short paragraph in the beginning of every history textbook mm -hmm. that tells you what the chapter is going to be about. It's never exciting. Right. It never makes you want to keep reading. And really each chapter should make you want to keep reading. Yeah. And I think the, the way what we're talking about with like an unclosed loop or tension is your ability to open up this concept where you already have a group of people that wants to learn something. So they're already coming to you with tension and curiosity and an unclosed loop where they want to know how to do something. It's actually why the words how to are some of the most searched words on Google, but that creates this unclosed loop immediately. Now, I think the opportunity is probably to bump your case studies or stories up to a hook and build them as a hook. So if I was starting something like even the first story we talked about, there's a creator on YouTube named Meet Kevin who made $22 million last year, and then he lost it all. In this video, we're going to teach you about, right? Now, all yeah. of a sudden, there's something that's interesting. You hooked me with a little bit of a story that's, oh, wow, interesting. How did you do that? And you can even end that with, it's a cautionary tale that has a ton of lessons that we're going to teach you today on the channel. You know, so you can intertwine some of that case study and story within the lessons, but then also you can think about, if you don't have that, can you say, hey, today we're going to talk about four things you need to know when it comes to investing. Today, we're going to introduce a framework of four things that you absolutely must need to know before you start investing. Now, I, I'm starting to sound like a corny, like motivational, like course seller, but I do think some of these tactics work because you've just introduced an unclosed loop in my mind. If I only learn one of those things and not all four, there's something in the human mind that's like, they said there were four. I need to know all four of them. It also reminds me of what Thomas Bragg said in our Yes Theory episode about hiding the vegetables. Mm -hmm. This idea that, you know, in every Yes Theory episode, you're going to get this emotional experience, a personal lesson, but they're not going to lead with the title thumbnail with that, right? right. They're going to go on some amazing journey yeah. and adventure, and that's what's in the title thumbnail that gets you to click. But really, 
you know, what they want to get across is that message similar to when, you know, if you're trying to feed kids vegetables, you don't just give them broccoli. You like put it within the confines of a more interesting meal. I think broccoli has a bad rap. Like when I was a kid, I liked broccoli. Am I sensing a gripe? No, it's not a gripe. It's just like, like a gripe. I think broccoli has bad branding right now. You know what's crazy? How good milk's branding was when we were growing up and how they've lost their footing in that. Yeah. Like got milk with all the celebrities and athletes and you're like, milk is the coolest thing to drink. And now in Los Angeles, milk is nowhere to be found. That's you're true. You're part of an odd group of people. If you walk up at coffee and you say, yeah, I'll have that latte with whole milk. It's like, are you in, well? In LA. Yeah, in LA. I in said LA. in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm just looking out for all the Dunkin' Donuts people there on the East Coast, you know? I see yeah, you. I, I hear you. All right. I know that's, I said that was our last thing, but I have two more things. First is uh, from No Robot Yet on Reddit. Describe the algorithm as if it were a person. I, I said George Costanza from Seinfeld. That okay. feels to me like dead on what the algorithm would be like. Kind of like a curmudgeon guy who's like the keeper of a lot of things. And he's like sometimes nice to you and sometimes not nice. And if you play nice, then he'll be nice. If you don't, he won't. I think it's more of a Stanley from the office. Just very That's blunt. That's really funny. That's good. And kind of boring. That's really good. You know? Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to answer this last one because I think it's important. This is from JL. This will actually be the last one. Um, I own half a niche sports network on YouTube with a rabid fan base of just under 400,000 subs. It's time for me to move on and I want to sell my half of the company. What advice would you give to me based off your experience with TLN? Did you hire a lawyer when it was acquired? Yes, absolutely. I couldn't recommend hiring a lawyer more. Um, I think there's a lot of unknowns in deal making that you just won't have experience with. And a lawyer who's done acquisitions before, who's, um, you know, done something like this before, like interview multiple people, um, definitely hire them, but get really clear on your deal points before you come to the lawyer, because it can get really expensive. So my mistake was I had a blank slate. I kind of went to the lawyer and said, all right, here's the deal that we're trying to work on. We haven't hammered out the deal points yet, but here's what it looks like. Um, I think you need to say, here's the deal that I want. Here's what I think makes sense. And then work with a lawyer on that. So I think that's, that's really important. Definitely hire a lawyer, but get really clear on how you want the deal to work. Talk to your co-founder, work out those details, then take that to the lawyer to make it happen. I wasn't involved in the TLN acquisition really. So I don't know, but I would like for how little I know about legal, mm. I've definitely like empathize and, and resonate with that experience of feeling a little bit scared of like what could happen. And I would definitely, if I were in your shoes, get a lawyer. Lawyer up. Lawyer up. All right. That's it this week for creator support. If you have a question or we didn't answer your question, try us on Reddit. You can also submit in our creator support forum, which is in our newsletter, The Publish Press. We'll be back here on Monday with an interview with Ryan Trahan. Very excited for everyone to listen to that. And until then, make sure you review the show, subscribe to us on YouTube, and check out our newsletter, The Publish Press. Colin, any last words? You know what? None. None. Okay. All right. We'll see you on Monday. Right.